Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. It's Wade and Mike in our studio, and we're here for another Winging It episode on the life, the times, the thought of Martin Luther. And we've made our way down to the year 1520, a very important year. Um, I don't know if we call it a transition year or not, but uh, there's some few transitions that are going to go here. Uh, We're going to have the uh, papal bull from Rome. We're going to have three very important treatises that Luther is going to write. And so his writing transitions a little bit, I would say. Politically, certainly there's a transition. And often, uh, we kind of miss this, but there is going to be some, I don't know if we can quite say nationalistic ideas here, but there's going to be some thoughts from some of the the knights in Germany that uh, they like this Luther character and his um, ability to kind of stir things up and maybe uh, poke the emperor and the pope in the eye a little bit. And uh, they're going to offer some support to Luther too. So uh, uh, quite a bit going on here in this big year, 1520. Last time we left it, uh, we were in Leipzig and we um, left off after the debate with John Eck. Um, that is also kind of a transition uh, moment. Um, John Eck is going to be a um, opponent Uh, had been for a little bit now, but definitely an opponent of Martin Luther. He's going to try to get in with uh, Rome as to be one of the people that are going to be uh, attacking Martin Luther in print. He's going to, wants to be a part of that. Um, Luther is tagged with uh, um, the label Hussite. Um, He is criticized um, for being too much like the heretic John John Huss. Um, And Luther says, no, no, no. And then he reads some of the... um, the Czech reformer stuff, and he goes, well, okay, maybe a little bit. and But that's important, too, because Huss was uh, given safe passage to um, Council in Constance, which would have been um, today in Switzerland, I believe, or is it on the German border? Anyway, on the German-Swiss uh, border. Um, but then he was executed there because you don't have to give rights to, to heretics. And certainly Luther is uh, theology is a different than the Hussites. Certainly it's more uh, developed. Um, but just the whole idea there that you're a rebel and that you're attacking the authority of the papacy. And that's where um, uh, Eck took that debate in Leipzig. And now it's going to get serious here and Rome is actually going to do something about it. So that sets the stage. And uh, Wade, why don't you take us where you want to go? Sure. And I will just note, we did get an um, email today from Caleb uh, just asking that we mention in the podcast about the upcoming Here We Still Stand conference. Mike and I are planning to be out there um, and to live record for that again. Hopefully Ben will be joining us, but that's a work in progress. Um, I also will be presenting a sectional on Christian freedom. Um, but just to note that there are now less than 100 tickets left for Here We Still Stand, um, the conference. Uh, tickets are one hundred ninety nine dollars, um, which include all sessions and your meals. Um, but as a listener, if you want, you can use the code promo code P as in Paul Net nineteen, and you'll get twenty five dollars off of that registration. And then you can also sign up there to attend the live recording, the um, pre conference uh, podcasting that takes place like it did last year. And worth it. I mean, this the uh, the amount of food and um, stuff that you get there, plus the the all the sessions there. It really is worth it. Nice setup, good food, yep. good people. It's uh, 
San Diego in October is a pleasant time to be in San Diego, yeah. as most Peter wanted to are. ride one of those scooters and didn't get to, so we'll have to do that and send him a picture. Peter's not coming? No, I don't think does he's he coming this year. Does he have another child or something? He hasn't mentioned it, but we maybe we should ask. Is it 10 now? They, they stay busy, yeah. Something like that. Um, which is, by the way, while maybe we're not always getting out our episodes as quickly as <laughs> Peter does have a life, and uh, um, we're 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 sort of a burden to Peter sometimes. We are, and this yeah. is a vocational for us, so it's a stuff we're doing on the side. So we do our best to keep it going on the side, um, but uh, we appreciate you bearing with us with that, and and with some of the devotions, other stuff. Uh, we've had to take a bit of a break with that, but we hope to get back to it. <clears throat> um, I thought, Mike, maybe we could divide this up a little bit by looking at uh, Heinz Schilling and his biography of Luther, which is one that I've mentioned I have kind of leaned on a little bit for some of these episodes. That and Lyndall Roper are normally my reads, um, as well as parts of the three-volume Martin Brecht and uh, You've Been Kittleson and Baton and uh, Hendricks and stuff like that. So uh, he has kind of five developments for this period, kind of this time between 1518 and 1520, um, but especially after the Leipzig debate that he's going to break up and <clears throat> excuse me, I apologize. My allergies have just been, I was in St. Louis for the North American Luther forum, which was phenomenal. And, uh, got to present some research that didn't get torn apart, which is always nice to not be exposed as a fraud. Uh, I mean, I am a fraud, but to not be exposed at it is, uh, is in, in a, a public way. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and so he has five kind of developments that he notes, and I thought maybe, Mike, I could read them off, and then we could react to them if that, uh, if that works. He says, uh, he talks about the shift now from Martin Luther, L-U-D-E-R, to Martin Luther, and this is going to take place, kind of he begins signing his way this way in letters uh, between 1517 and 1519 um, from Eulotherius, which is Greek for free man, um, that Luther really is going to start to see him now, himself now as a free man. Um, part of that will be he's free from his monastic vows. That will be a big development that takes place kind of with the build up to the 1520s treatises as he is now um, slowly working his way from a lot of the monastic practices that had taken up a lot of his time. Uh, so as this free man, Schilling has kind of five things. First, he says, um, and if you're in this biography, it's page 139. It starts on, first, the new Luther was a publicist who spoke the language of the people. So he's going to make a public appeal through print. Um, and then secondly, he says, uh, the new Luther was a uh, polemicist. So he's going to take a increasingly aggressive tone with his opponents. Third, the new Luther was a radical opponent of Pope and the Roman church. It's going to be here especially that he begins to talk of the papacy as Antichrist. Um, fourth, he has a new sense of a call as prophet. Um, and that will really play in throughout Luther's life that someone's not merely opposing him when they oppose the gospel, um, but opposing God himself. And then finally, fifthly, um, his pessimistic and negative image of humanity and so he's going to develop this uh, increasingly low anthropology that we've talked about in episodes. Um, but this is going to mark a turn to also a, away from uh, kind of the mysticism that he was somewhat attracted to earlier on, the Theologia Deutsch, um, the German theology, was a document that had been very important to him early on. And so this growing sense of uh, human sinfulness. And that 
clearly makes its way into the writings of 1520 and to his subsequent writings as well, um, both regarding the bound will, but also original sin and the implications of that. So just briefly then again, Luther as a publicist, Luther as, and as part of publicist, right, his images begin appearing more and more with his writings as well, so that um, readers identify not only with his theology, but with Luther the person, Luther as polemicist, Luther as opponent of Pope in the Roman Church, um, Luther as prophet, and then Luther as a pessimist regarding human nature and anthropology after the fall. Mike, anything that stands out from those five, maybe we can take up something with those. Sure, just maybe the, his name change, I think, is is just to tell some of our readers that maybe don't, our listeners who don't understand that that would have been actually kind of common to right. then take some kind of... And Melanchthon of, does this. He yeah. goes from the Greek for... Or it goes from the German for black earth to the Greek for black earth, I believe it, it, it means. Yeah, and so there's definitely a humanist, like there's attraction to this, uh, the going back to the fonts, the, to the idea of the Greek Greco-Roman world, and, and there's something there that we can learn from. Uh, today we might talk about liberal arts, Western civilization, that kind of stuff. Um, I think we should have a free for, we should give ourselves Greek names. In a preparation for be free fun. for all, that something like that. Um, so it's not, oh my gosh, he just changed his name. What an arrogant. Well, he may be arrogant, but that's a different, <laughs> that's, on, that's right. something different. And, uh, um, and he's confident, but not arrogant, I would argue anyway. But that's just something that would have happened. And that uh, is part of it is there's a growing confidence and certainty that we see in his writings regarding his doctrine. He's less kind of probing things to get a general feel and more and more asserting things, yeah. Yeah, and which then kind of is an overarching thing here where he is now willing to say, okay, I stand against at least the papacy as it's currently right now teaching. Um, and if that makes me um, against the church's doctrine as it is right now, then so be it. He's he's confident that. And so that, that idea of free man, I think, uh, you know, uh, to, to connect that, to all five of those, I think that there's there's something there that he's he's free from um, trying to please his authorities. Maybe he's he says I'm bound by the word of God and that's it. I'm not bound to um, a council or a pope. Um, that that kind of shift is a, is significant as well. And then and we're going to see that in his writings. I mean, the freedom of a, a Christian is going to be one of the treatises we'll be talking about in 1520. Free. I mean, free to. We could talk about freedom of the press. I mean, he's free to put this out, you know? I mean, that right. is a significant thing that we should not underestimate as well. He's free to speak in a polemical way. Um, he's also free from, um, or at least in the sense of, I don't have to worry about how people are going to take me in a certain way, although he certainly is concerned about his image. But that idea of prophet, you know, certainly a lot of people called him a prophet very early on. And he doesn't, again, it's not saying, oh, I speak um, inspired words of God here. What he is saying is, one, what I speak is, is the word of God in the sense that it agrees with the word of God. And so I'm, I'm, you know, if you want to, if you want to kill me for that, that's fine. I, that, and I, that is I part of the freedom. The he comes to terms yeah. with the fact that this probably means martyrdom for him. And he's, he's going to embrace that as a possibility. And I was going to say, probably you could maybe, I don't know, right away, this comes to us a little later, but there's an eschatological sense right. here, yep. right? And uh, a prophet of the end times. And I think he probably gets some stuff here. You know, he sees stuff 
from from maybe a different perspective, uh, um, a wider perspective than maybe some of his uh, contemporaries. He says, this is a big deal when the Pope says this. This right. is a big deal, this doctrine here. You can't just ignore that. And then uh, the pessimism, his low a- anthropology, um, you know, the flip side of freedom is understanding <laughs> I don't trust in myself. I'm free from trusting exactly. in myself. I am in the hands of God. I know this is truth. And so whatever happens, happens. There's a certain amount of freedom there. And that's and it's counterintuitive to Christians, but really Christian freedom is rooted in a low anthropology. Yep. You cannot have that. Uh, you cannot have the freedom of the gospel without first despairing of yourself. Yep. And so all of that, I'm, I'm really glad that we started with the idea of his name change in that uh, there's some freedom there because that that's the basis for all five of those. Um, yeah. So I'll go back to you. Which one do you want to delve well, into? I think maybe just to set the stage a little bit with those two, it's interesting that this happens while his freedom is developing. Luther is perhaps more alone than he had been in quite a while. Um, it appears the relationship with Staupitz um, grew a little bit cold uh, not that Staupitz and Frederick turn their back on Luther, but we do know at this point that they're trying to keep their distance so they can work politically um, and kind of have a degree of separation. And, and Frederick is wrestling with, and we talked about this in the episodes on Frederick the Wise, he's wrestling with to what extent should he wed himself to Luther's cause? Um, what you know? How many degrees of separation or deniability does he need to have? And Luther's also isolated from Staupitz. He's writing to Staupitz, but he's not hearing back. Um, it appears he sent Staupitz a gift of his early Galatians commentary, and Staupitz returns that. Um, so he is feeling somewhat cut off, too. It's not that he has no friends um, or no one willing to join his cause. And you mentioned there are some knights, for instance, who are very interested in his cause because they see similar themes to some of the gravamina, the um, protests the complaints that the German estates had had against the emperor um, or against the papacy. So they see kind of like a a pro-Germanism in, in Luther that they can maybe use um, as well. But he, he is maybe feeling more isolated than normal. But as he, you know, he's, he's kind of um, coming to terms with not being a monk in the same way he was before, uh, this is going to free up a lot of time to be 1520 is probably the most productive year of his life and probably intellectually um, the most stimulating year of his life as he is working through all these concepts that will, <coughs> excuse me, that will lead to the conflict of 1521. This is really when the break with Rome is going to become clear and we'll get to the excommunication, uh, the, the bull the Pope issues. But this is also when the foundations really begin to be laid then for a new evangelical church and what it means to be an evangelical. So in 1519, um, Spalatin's urging he's going to write the treatise on good works, which is a writing that you should just read um, if you haven't yet. It's not a very difficult writing. Um, Brecht says he's going to ground a a new ethic um, in faith, and he's going to ground it then in the first commandment, which is ultimately kept through God's gift of faith. And so... There's both a a break and foundation lanes that are taking place through these five things as we look at them. I think as far as the first thing, Luther is publicist. We've recommended it a number of times, but I would just recommend it again. Um, Pedigree's book, Brand Luther. Um, Pedigree is just phenomenal on this, um, on how Luther, um, whether he's always doing it intentionally or not is up for debate, I suppose, but really is building a brand. 
um, a type of writing, a writing that's accessible to the common people, um, the inclusion of woodcuts or art for those who maybe don't read so well or to reinforce ideas for those who do read as well, um, often the inclusion of his, his image, um, certain types of fonts that make things recognizable as being works of Luther. Um, so there is this brand is developing, but having taught the Luther course, uh, Mike, and having used the pedigree book, anything maybe with the brand of Luther or Luther's publicist you'd like to bring out? Well, first of all, that I was so surprised to find out some of the, the very detailed work that Pedigree did about how, yeah, he did care about how his image was. You know, he's not just this aw shucks kind of guy, which is the impression that maybe we aw shucks Lutherans in America who are proud of our humility sometimes <laughs> a kind of pictured Martin Luther was more of a Luther in our image rather than the other way around. Um, and Pedigree makes a big deal about how some of the early printers, specifically one early printer, was not as efficient par, yeah. and maybe not as professional and creative as he should have been. And it bothered Luther. He he, he tries to still give him work, um, but maybe it maybe that there's certain works though that he makes sure go through other yeah, printers. That subpar work forced him to think about the quality and the appearance of the printing printer and drove him towards thinking about it more maybe. And then eventually, you know, a blossoming relationship with Lucas Cronick and some of the other printers. And An so, aesthetic basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the Luther in the image, right, is something that uh, we do think about. And it's a contrast then to some of maybe the more radical reformers who seem maybe a little bit more pure and not so much concerned about how things look in, in the church and, and uh, maybe even in print, although that may be going a little bit too far. Um, yeah, just uh, I, while you were talking about the, the idea of, of not just freedom, but maybe being lonely, it seems to be a very wild year for him. The 1520 to the beginning of 1521 is going to be all over the place, of course. Um, that he does feel lonely, but then also excited about this. Um, and you can see how, how easily that could play out with, with, you know, the historical details. But what struck me is that as there's this growing sense of freedom in his job as, okay, still not calling himself a reformer ever, but this, but this, this is, is where the I'm concept of reformation yeah. starts to take hold. This yeah. is, this is, I am, I am this person and I'm, I'm going to accept this, you know, quote unquote calling. While he's finding this freedom, at the same time, the walls are coming, closing in. Yep. So you got uh, the Pope is now going to act. Um, Frederick is going to say, okay, I'll defend you. But some of, it, some of the reason he's going to defend you is, well, I want, I want my German to have a German trial. I don't want this Italian. Not right. necessarily because he's at this point totally backing Luther theologically, right? And, and to support the university, which also doesn't mean he's going to support Luther's theology. So you can imagine a lot of, there's, as much as he's finding maybe this new kind of freedom, uh, the walls are closing in on a little yeah. bit in a lot of ways. So yeah, so that's what I have on publicists. And, and that makes sense leading into the, the second point then of Luther as polemicist. And, um, you know, Roper kind of um, notes the same thing and lists some of the names he gives as enemies. Um, Hieronymus becomes the ox, Emser becomes the goat, Act the fool, Alvid the donkey, Pope Leo the wolf, other theologians become the asses, um, Merner becomes the cat fool, 
um, because Tomcat in German um, and Nar means uh, f- fool, basically. Um, so he's going to become very good at polemics. But this also, I think, is going to be rooted in his notion of himself as a free man. He now feels free to take this cause public because he's exhausted the avenues um, with the church. He's met with Cayetan. He's debated Eck. And this is where Eck maybe wins the debate, but Leipzig is what pushes Luther over the edge where some stuff is published already while he's at Leipzig, some pro-Luther stuff. But he's going to go home and start publishing and taking it to the public right away. And so he's going to engage his enemy and he's going to engage his opponents in kind um, and really outdo them. He really does have a gift, if we can speak of it that way, for insulting people. Um, this same tone is going to alienate some people. We know Erasmus, for instance, at this point, um, begins to take issue with the change of tone in some of Luther's writings. Melanchthon throughout his life will be uncomfortable with some of this. But um, the Luther most people think of when they think of Luther's writings really starts to develop at this time, and especially in 1520. Of As prophet, to take it ahead a bit, he sees himself as combating anti-Christian forces, demonic forces, um, forces that are not merely opposed to Luther but to Christ, and so he takes on a, a tone that he feels is in accordance with that. Yeah, and it, we should point out the polemics are on both sides. I mean, X starts calling them, right. you know, Lutheranai, you know, that, I mean, as an insult that you are a follower of Luther, you know, the, even the even the bull that comes down, you know, in, in typical Roman fashion, you know, starts off with, you know, some some profound phrase usually from scriptures, arise, O Lord, and bring down, you know, I mean, I, I've always, I don't know how accurate this is, but when we talk about the just the sharp tongue of Luther, I mean, usually we balance that out with, you should have heard what the Jews said about him. You yeah. should have heard what the Catholics said about him. And again, I don't know if this is true or not, but maybe the difference is Luther was just better at it. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not like people were being nice to Luther and Luther was a jerk. I think he was just had a sharper wit about him. At the same time, some of this stuff, is uncomfortable to us and would have been uncomfortable to uh, people. It's just... Especially humanist circles. Yeah, he just... Again, he was... he. People were being polemical. Well, then he doubled down on polemics. Right. People called him names. Well, then he doubled down on that. And we can argue about um, how valid that always is. I think we'd probably come down. Sometimes you have to... Um, be as shrewd as a snake. At sometimes we would say Luther really should have probably toned it down a little bit there. But the polemics on both sides really, and if we, you know, if you went back a few episodes and we were talking about, um, you know, the Leipzig debate, but even before that, the um, uh, Heidelberg Disputation, 95 Theses or whatever, and it's a different avenue because they're disputations rather than this. This is a sharp contrast to polemical writing versus writing for a debate. Right. Right. And and it's a significant And he's shift. been freed from from academic debate now. And this is this is something that even in our own day we see. Um if Luther's trying to win over the public, he is framing things in a way that I mean, he's astute to how he frames things. And so even in our own day we had uh Lion Ted and uh what did Trump call Marco uh <clears throat> called Marco Rubio something. I can't yeah. remember what right he's assigning names to people that that the commoner would have got a chuckle out of, and they would have helped um, Luther's cause. Is it fair he did that? Well, A, every age has different standards for that. Um, But B, as Mike said, it was being done back. This is not to justify it, but it is to say it proved to be very effective. 
um, in trying to make a very public cause. This is what he's freed for now, to make his appeal to the public, to the German people, to the German nobility. Um, as opponent of Pope and Roman Church, I think here we just have to emphasize again, this is where Luther sees a break with the Roman Church being inevitable. He's not going to be surprised when he's excommunicated. He knows that is coming. He's not going to be surprised when there's threats against his life. He, he honestly thinks he's going to be martyred. Um, but these years mark the point where, you know, even some others are saying, hey, maybe you can still reconcile with Leo. Maybe you can try this or try that. And while Luther will go along with some stuff because that's what Frederick and, and uh, Spalatin want him to do, um, it, he's really making, this is not going to be stuff that really can be reconciled. Um, and so he's doubling down. I think we've hit on the prophet thing, um, but this becomes especially th important throughout the 1520s and the 1530s. We see this in his writings against Zwingli and the Sacramentarians. Um, we see this in his writings uh, against um, others with whom he disagreed, for instance, Erasmus and the bondage of the will. He sees um, these threats as being, um, as a pastor, as, as a public theologian, he sees the, these being attacks that will lead people away from Christ. And so in his prophetic role, he sees these not merely as we differ on ideas. He sees these as a threat, just as much as the Roman church saw Luther as a threat to the institutional church. Luther saw these as threats to the true church, um, whose foundation is the gospel and justification by grace through faith alone, um, you know, whose cornerstone is Christ. And uh, its, um, its foundation is the scriptures, the, the prophets and apostles, as Paul says to the Ephesians. Um, and then maybe finally, I, I don't think we want to go too long with this one, but his pacifistic, a pessimistic um, and negative view of humanity, um, this anthropology is just going to mark everything he does throughout the rest of his life. This emphasis on original sin, this comes out in Bondage of the Will with Erasmus too, and Erasmus says, you know, Luther greatly... Um, kind of hyperbolizes original sin. This becomes definitive for his theology, um, and it's driven partly because of his experience with human beings uh, and with medieval theology that has kind of a rosy view compared to Luther's of um, human fallenness. But it also will color how Luther interacts with people. Um, when the peasants' revolt comes, right, he sees the worst of humanity expressing itself on both sides um, both with those who caused the revolt and those who put it down. He has a real pessimist uh, pessimism about any utopian notions. So when you have some of the radical reformers who are looking to set up God's kingdom on earth and, you know, we're going to start our own community that will be truly godly, it's Luther's pessimism about human nature that leads him to really see those things as futile, um, a waste of effort, and even dangerous um, because once again, then they distract from Christ. Christ becomes a stepping stone to some new community or ideal. And so I think this is something that really colors all that Luther does and writes after this um, and becomes really central to to his theology. And we see um, even today when people are kind of starting to get into law and gospel and some Lutheran themes, um, we saw this, Mike, when we were out at Mockingbird and they were, they were giving out little stickers that say low anthropology. It just tends to come with a high view of, of Christ and um, law and gospel that, peop that you, you also have to then have a pretty serious view of original sin and what it's done to humanity. Yeah, I think that's good stuff. Um, you know, when we, we think about 1520 and we think about maybe 
some solidification of, okay, there's, there's lines going to be drawn here. And he's got to start thinking not only theologically about original sin and the gospel of Jesus Christ, which of course he already has, but really saying that. And then um, also starting to say, this is really a moment in time. And uh, we tend to do that a little bit in our modern period where we say, you know, this, this is the this time right now is going to be this great historical moment. And sometimes you kind of roll your eyes and go, well, every time is a unique and important uh, moment in history. But for Luther, and I don't think we always appreciate this, that the people around Luther understood this was a moment Mm -hmm. and this was a big deal. And for Luther, that is driven from, I think, his eschatological idea. I'm willing to die for this. The world is going to come soon. This souls are at stake here. Um, and those are prop, those are profit, um, attributes, right? right? Um, you know, and, and they, and he, and, um, Flatius after him will see when they read the old Testament, they see these as just being almost like cyclical things of these are fights that come up in the history of the church where the devil, right? The antichrist is working overtime and God works through prophetic voices. Uh, I mean, this is how they will, they will see themselves in the light of, um, kind of those, think of those repeating patterns in the Old Testament. Yeah, and we'll maybe just think a little bit of the history of 1520. So uh, uh, Eck takes, uh, it seems to, that he takes a little bit of break from his uh, professorship, and he goes down to Rome, and he kind of, again, inserts himself into this anti-Luther movement. And so he and Cayetan, maybe there's some, there's some you know, power struggles there, but he says... We have to literally write, here is where Luther's wrong. Cayetan seems to say, okay, let's take each step by step. What are these, the erroneous things that we think Luther has said wrong? Eck is kind of like the whole thing, right? Yeah. And Eck um, is definitely about uh, the primacy of the Pope, right? That there's authority there. And so um, a tactic that Luther, uh, that Eck wants to, wants to take and then... Um, in June, middle of June, um, after the Cardinals, uh, the College of Cardinals approved this, there is the um, um, edict, the bull of excommunication um, that is not surprising to anybody. Exerge Domine. And it's going to give him 60 days to recant. And then this is where Luther then starts to write um, before a little bit before this, although he knows it's coming, and then later in that year where he's going to write on good works, um, you already mentioned that. Then on the papacy at Rome, and then what we call probably the three big ones of 1520, the address to the Christian nobility, the Babylonian captivity of the church, and on the freedom of a Christian. And these will be published. So Treatise on Good Works is a little bit before the... Uh, wait, it, it might be about the same time as the bull. Yeah, I think it's early But these June. big treatises yeah. will start hitting that fall. Mm-hmm. And so after the Pope has issued this bull, um, these treatises are going to come out, which just make it exacerbate things. Yeah. And so I wonder if the two ones, uh, on good works and on the papacy at Rome were salvos, you know, like they knew it was coming, but, uh, the heavy guns are going to come later in response to that. And it's very clear that excommunication is not going to be an option for Luther or I shouldn't say that. It's not going to silence him. Yeah. It's not going to silence him. It's not going to be, he's not going to recant. Uh, recanting at this moment is not going to be an option. Now, in 1521, when we get to the Diet of Worms, he is going to, I don't know, have a moment when he's 
face to face with the actual, you know, he's when not you're standing before the empire, it not, gets a, a little real. He's not a hundred miles away from, um, from the emperor, the Pope, it's going to get real. Um, uh, but we'll, we'll tackle that probably, uh, a little bit later in our, in our series here. So 1520, a big year, um, a shift in thinking, a shift in his writing, a shift in, uh, how the papacy and the church now, they're going to be more political polemical they're going to be more active in this and the walls are coming in and yet he finds some great freedom in the gospel and freedom to write and he is able to uh really i mean write a lot for for us you write a lot more than i do but who are constantly having to do this creative act which is writing um, it takes a lot out of you um, physically but also mentally and for him to be that prolific a writer at such a young age in one year is pretty remarkable. And this is, I mean, this is the year of his life where he's going to be most productive. Um, so maybe just for upcoming, what we're doing, um, we'll be looking at the three treatises now. So we'll have a session on each of the three treatises, kind of their big themes, um, what they're doing, what they're arguing. And then we will uh, make our way after those two forms, right? I suppose in the meanwhile, Mike, what should we do? Well, we'll just let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down Get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink I set them up, another round I set them up, another round I set them up, another round One more round won't get me down Don't care.